I'm able to deploy the tube from the device into the patient in a very quick fashion and not have uh, all these other steps that go into doing it under anesthesia. Then, then I move over to the other ear and do it on that side. And within about uh, five minutes, typically both tubes are in. The Medical Alley podcast is brought to you by MentorMate. MentorMate empowers healthcare clients to deliver on their mission and transform the human experience through technology. For over 20 years, clients have trusted MentorMate to guide their vision, design innovative products, and build secure solutions while understanding the specific nuances of their industry. MentorMate's global team in the U.S., Eastern Europe, and Latin America helps clients in all sectors of healthcare transform their organizations. From Fortune 500 pharmaceutical companies and commercial payers to hospital systems, medical device manufacturers, and beyond. Learn more at mentormate.com healthcare. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone out there in Medical Alley. This is your host, Frank Chiscolti, and thanks for joining me on another episode of the Medical Alley podcast. Today, we have a slightly different episode, one that I'm particularly excited about. We're to be sitting down and talking with uh, Dr. Ted Truitt, who's an ENT surgeon from St. Cloud ENT, and talk about the Hummingbird device, uh, which comes from a longtime Medical Alley member, Perceptus Medical. We're going to talk a little bit about the procedure, the technologies, the conditions, get a general background on what's going on, and hopefully leave you a bit more informed about another great company uh, happening right here in Medical Alley. So, Dr. Truitt, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Maybe the, the place to start, I think something we've all experienced, I certainly had these very commonly when I was a kid, but how common are ear infections in the U.S.? Ear infections are very common. Uh, it's about 75% of kids uh, that approach their uh, their pediatrician with problems are, are there for uh, ear infections. Now, wow. as an ENT, I see uh, a lot of kids with recurrent ear infections or fluid that won't go away. And it, it really uh, turns out that about 7% of kids will end up getting tubes in their ears. And that's just because a certain population of those kids just start having uh, way too many. Oh, wow. That's a pretty significant number. Like, it, at what stage or what age do you end up seeing, like, do ear tubes become recommended? Well, it seems like it happens most commonly in the first two years of life. Most kids will, at some point uh, in their first uh, three months of life, will uh, have had an ear infection. So, most commonly, it's, we'll say, under three years of age. If they have three to four ear infections in a six-month period or four to five ear infections in a 12-month period, then we'll recommend putting tubes in. Another reason is if a child has an ear infection and that fluid just won't clear, and it's been about three months and we're starting to worry about hearing loss in those oh. uh, children, then we'll go to recommend uh, tubes. Oh, interesting. And then uh, that ends up meaning a surgical procedure, I imagine, for the children. And what, what's kind of that treatment pathway up to the tubes and for the tubes itself? 
Yeah, so when a uh, child comes in to see me for recurrent ear infections, uh, it, we're kind of left with two options. One of them is to go ahead and put uh, tubes in, and that's to ventilate the middle ear space. And the other one is to continue medical management. By the time they've gotten to the special specialist, they're not too interested in that one. So if, um, and this is before Hummingbird. Hummingbird has kind of yeah. given uh, us another option uh, that uh, isn't quite as invasive as what the option um, has always been for physicians. And that's uh, a surgical procedure where a patient, typically a young child, goes to sleep using a general anesthetic. And we usually use a, uh, a gas uh, yeah. to put them to sleep. Now, a child will be nothing by mouth after midnight, and then they'll come in in the morning. We try to get these young ones done first thing in the morning, and they go to sleep with a general anesthetic, which obviously affects the central nervous system to right. put them to sleep. And then uh, while they're asleep, we make an opening in the eardrum, suck out any fluid that happens to be there, tuck a tube into that hole to keep the hole open so we can get ventilation of the middle ear space. And that not only allows uh, the fluid to clear the middle ear space, it just becomes very hard for infections to happen. Now, a child after we're done will go to a recovery room We'll spend probably about a half an hour there and a half an hour with their parents afterwards, typically confused and crying. Oh. And that crying um, sometimes can be uh, uh, fairly persistent. And then the child goes home and usually by the next day, everything is back to normal and the child's back to daycare and everything. Yeah, but a, a fairly then a not insignificant procedure for a young child. I, I agree. And I think uh, for the child, it can be uh, uh, felt to be traumatic for them. Yeah. But then there's also the central acting drugs right. that uh, aren't around for uh, very long. But still, you kind of wonder if you're given the uh, children medications that uh, do that to them. Uh, it may not be the best thing. And then there's the, the big inconvenience that uh, right. it is for the parents and for, um, you know, even the the child to go without food for uh, a period of time so it's oh, not yeah. the uh it, it's not ideal in many ways i know that perceptus had developed their device uh to try to simplify that procedure and improve it for the for the child for the family for the care provider can you talk a little bit about what hummingbird technology does and how it's different from what you just described with the ear tube placement so the uh the tubes that we put in essentially are the same, whether we do it under anesthesia or in the clinic. It's a little bit of a different shape, but they stay in about the same amount of time. The important thing is, is that the hummingbird tube is delivered through a device. Now, the device does the uh, eardrum opening and deployment of the tube in one pass. Uh -huh. So what that does for us is even if the child is moving around, which most most children in the clinic don't like us looking in their ears. Right. They don't like uh, us to clean out earwax. Um, but, you know, we, we get them holding still. We numb their eardrum up like it's uh, an adult getting a tube in the office. So then they don't feel anything, but they're still kind of nervous and they'd mm -hmm. rather not be there. We're holding them secure and we have a nurse helping with that. The parent is in the room with us just trying to talk their child through the right. uh, the process and we found that to be helpful and then 
when I say talk them, it's more distraction techniques right. by the uh, by the parents, not not really uh, explaining what's going on because they just uh, would rather be done. And then uh, I'm able to deploy the tube from the device into the patient in a very quick fashion and not have uh, all these other steps that go into doing it under anesthesia. Then, then I move over to the other ear and do it on that side. And within about uh, five minutes, typically both tubes are in. Wow. And that device has really uh, been a game changer and has been uh, has really allowed us to uh, deliver this tube in a, uh, a quicker uh, way and uh, allowed us to to uh, avoid general anesthesia in a large percentage of uh, patients in that age group. Ah, oh, that's fascinating. I got to say, this is one of my favorite things about getting to work in and around this community, hearing you know that story of what the procedures are like pre and post this sort of technology. That sounds like a better experience for the young child, for the family members, for you as a clinician. What's been the reaction so far? What's been the response from the parents in particular? I got to imagine this is a lower stress thing for them. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it it depends. I mean, if yeah. if a uh, family has had three previous kids get tubes under general anesthesia and they know how well the tubes work, they're really not interested in new new ways. Uh, they that's not always the case, but those are sometimes the parents that aren't so interested. But most all parents, when I give them the option of avoiding general anesthesia, doing it in the office, it takes less than five minutes. They, It's not a hard thing to, to um, well, I'm not really in the in the business of selling one thing over the other, but it's not a hard sell for, yeah. for I mean, most parents really want, uh, want that. And then when it's all done and over, there's a lot of little comments that they make, like, you mean that's it? Or... <laughs> we're going home right now. And, you know, just, uh, and then when they, they go home, they come back, they've explained to their friends and their pediatrician and everybody about the procedure and they can't believe it. And then there's uh, word of mouth has brought a lot of other patients oh, interesting. Uh, my way to get that done. Uh, that's a very good sign. If they're talking about it in a positive way like that, that that's a great sign. Yeah, we, we were, uh, um, we pulled patients too on that, and about ninety-eight percent of uh, our patients are—they um, uh, would uh, recommend it to other oh, patients. Right so it's—it's it's not just like nine out of ten; it's almost everybody <laughs> out of the two hundred and fifty that we did the study on. Uh, wow. Almost everybody was recommending it to other people. Oh wow. Well, and I know you were speaking of studies, you were involved in some of the the clinical studies with Preceptus for this. Can you talk about, you know, what your role was in that and what the, you and the company learned in doing the process? Yeah, I mean, there's been a, a few published studies on the Hummingbird device. I was uh, fortunate enough to be lead author in, uh, in one of them. And uh, it has uh, been just kind of a, a bit eye-opening at... Uh, the tolerance that patients that that the children have, the parents have, and the just the overall satisfaction with it—it's uh, been really uh, rewarding, and encouraging, and it's been fun to 
fun to watch. Now, there's no um, procedure that is 100% guaranteed mm-hmm. to work. So there, there are times where maybe we're unable to get the tube in in the office. I have yet to have that experience, but I explain it to all my right. my patients that that's always a possibility. But we're we're looking at in the studies a 98% uh, success rate of getting the the tubes inserted in the office, which is really good. Yeah. Maybe Dr. Truitt, last question. Obviously still relatively early days, development work to be done. Do you see the procedure becoming more common, more well adopted across uh, the ENT? Yeah, I mean, I, I really do. I think that the way healthcare is, uh, is going now is that, um, we're trying to find less invasive ways of uh, doing things, not only for patient safety, but also for cost. So if we can uh, lower the cost of healthcare and do a procedure that's less uh, that's uh, less invasive, less risky, but has equal efficacy and perhaps right. even better uh, efficacy, then I, I really feel like those kind of procedures in medicine have the best shot of gaining traction. And uh, we've noticed that with uh, certain sinus procedures that we're able to do in the office that patients have been happy with and so have payers and uh, physicians. So this would kind of go go along uh, the same line. The the big difference with this one is is that um, we are avoiding uh, general anesthesia in a particularly vulnerable population. And there, there aren't just like one or two of these being done a week by an ENT, it's, uh, you know, it could be up to a dozen a week that we're doing under general anesthesia. Wow. So even if we can make a, uh, a dent into that by uh, maybe doing a quarter of those in the office, I think that's uh, overall helpful for the, the healthcare system, but also the health and well-being of uh, these uh these kids. So back to your question, though, uh, more about do I see this gaining traction? I would say yes. I think that uh, physicians in general have the hurdle of uh, trying to learn a new um, a new procedure. It's not a complicated procedure, but you have to to be okay with working with children that mm-hmm. are awake, and it's not something that we're uh, trained to uh, to do uh, an ear tube procedure in the office, but we're removing um, rocks and, you know, foreign bodies, beads from kids' ears and oh. earwax and all that. And so we we have practiced working on moving targets, but it might be <laughs> a little bit of a, a leap at first for a general ENT to just be okay with doing it. Right. So it, it, it has a little bit of impediment there, but uh, once you've got a few of them under your belt, you just kind of understand how this is really helping these kids a lot. Indeed. Well, and I think that's a great place to wrap it up and to say, Dr. Truett, thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your work and about the uh, work of Perceptus Medical and the Hummingbird technology. Really appreciate you being on today. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, thanks for asking me to be on the show. Mm-hmm. And folks, that's another episode of the Medical Alley Podcast. If you're not already a subscriber, make sure you get over to medicalalleypodcast.org or you can find us on Apple, Spotify, or on the Medical Alley YouTube channel. And hey, would you do me a favor? Would you share this episode with just one other person? If everyone listening did that, we'd help spread this story and so many other important stories coming out of Medical Alley further. I'd really appreciate it. Until next time, have a great day.